Hi, and welcome to the Ready for Polyamory podcast, season five, episode eight. Uh, my name is Laura Boyle. I'm your host. And this week we are talking about de-escalations and de-escalating relationships. Uh, as always, uh, I've got just a couple little pieces of housekeeping before we get into our nice interview. This week we're talking with Roy Graf of Open Relating about our topic of the week. But um, for our bits of housekeeping, I just want to remind everybody that my audiobook is out now. So if you haven't had a chance to go check that out, you can use the link in the show notes to do that. Um, and of course, as always, you can find me and the show on social media at Ready for Polyamory, except for Twitter, where I have kept my personal handle at LauraCB88 which is, of course, why Twitter is my smallest and most chaotic social media following. I think it's pretty fun, though. Come follow me there. So, without further ado, we are going to be talking today about de-escalations, breakups, what the difference between them is, whether there should be a difference between them, and generally what Roy and I think about this topic. I hope you enjoy our conversation. I'm here today with Roy Graf of Open Relating to talk about this idea of de-escalation and de-escalating polyamorous relationships. And as those of you who read the blog know, I've got a lot of thoughts about how that isn't actually something that's any easier than just having a breakup in scare quotes. Um, but I'm really excited to hear what Roy has to say about it. Roy, for any of my guests who don't know who you are, or don't follow you, do you mind sort of introducing yourself a little? Hi, Laura. Yes, yeah, certainly. Thanks for uh, inviting me on the show. I am Roy Graf. My website is called openrelating.love, and I am a relationship coach. I'm also training as a psychotherapist at the moment. My work is with individuals, with couples, with triads, with different sizes of polycules. I help with navigating non-monogamous relationships as well as monogamous relationships. For me, the, the, the focus is helping people communicate better, uh, reveal their true selves to their partners, um, and know how to manage and handle conflict situations and be better at uh, their own boundaries and then know how to ask for what they need, you know, th those kind of things. Very simple, but then gets very complicated. Well, right. All of these things about relationships that seem like they should break down really simply, but when we try to actually do them in practice, it's where we stumble. And so yeah. I think that's very relevant to today's topic because it feels a little bit like breakup has become a dirty word in the non-monogamous community. And... I don't know if you have any thoughts on why that is. Well, so as a relationship coach, um, I work with individuals who struggle in their relationships. I also work with partnered people, but my goal isn't to keep them together. My goal is to get them to the place where they know what they really want and figure out if it is together or apart. Right. So sometimes it is, about, it is the, the best thing to do is to break up or mm -hmm. maybe to deescalate and um, I think there's a few reasons why in the non-monogamous world and in the kind of polyamorous communities, um, break, breakups can feel a bit, um, uh, I wouldn't say taboo, but definitely something that people will try to avoid. And 
partly is something that I kind of resonate with as well is that if I care about somebody but we're not compatible in some way or it's not possible for us to continue having a romantic or sexual relationship but I care about the person I want to still keep them in my life in some way so the term de-escalation applies to us um, changing the dynamic to something that we can both be happy with going forward but really um, when I think about the meaning of the term de-escalate it's also literally means make it less than Right. right. It's this sense of you're coming down a step, like yeah. literally de-escalate. And yeah. so it certainly places this hierarchy on relationships where it indicates that like friendship is a level below this mm. relationship that was sexual or was romantic or whatnot for folks who are doing that kind of de-escalation. Or if you're saying, well, we're changing our relationship from a cohabiting one to not a cohabiting one, that's a de-escalation you're removing this entanglement. It's again, kind of implying a hierarchy in that. And I don't know that folks necessarily intend it that way, but that is an underlying implication. Yeah, it feels and it sounds connected to the idea of relationship escalator. So yeah. by deescalating, you're moving back or off the escalator. So that gives credence to the whole idea that there is that escalator and somehow that is the, the intended way that we are supposed to progress. So in, in that context, when you transition to a different type of dynamic, it might feel as losing something. Mm -hmm. Whereas, in my view, when you're realizing that your relationship doesn't work in this present format and you find a way to make it work, and that could be without the sex or without the living together or without other types of um, entanglements and enmeshments, mm -hmm. if that then works for you, that is an improvement. You know, it's not a step back, it's a step forward. Right. It's an additive to your ability to interact with one another, not subtractive, exactly. even if what's happening is that you're choosing not to do a particular activity. Yes. And I think there's already a good example of that. And we can see it, uh, for example, you know, from uh, a longer lineage of monogamous uh, couples where they have children and they need to stay in connection and relationship because they're raising the children together, even when they're no longer romantically or sexually involved. And they mm -hmm. find ways to do that and often become good friends and become each other's support you know, network. Right. And this idea of co-parenting sort of being a form of de-escalated relationship is something that I think a lot of polyamorous people end up talking about in a way of like, well, why is that okay and we're not? Because from mm. a mainstream perspective, you get all of these, look at how wholesome these step-parents are working together and being besties. And then you get the, look at these scandalous polyamorous people when like me and my ex and ex meta are co-parents who were a live in V who yeah. then went, oh, this isn't working. We're going to do this this way now, right? Like yeah. we literally did the de-escalation thing first by living in the same house, but not being involved and then going, oh, this still isn't quite what we need and changing it again. Um. I ended up not referring to that as a de-escalation mostly because for me it felt like, oh, we have definitely just had a breakup, but <laughs> um, I'm also one of those people who goes, if you're de-escalating down to a level where you wouldn't necessarily even call them your friend this week, you have broken up. <laughs> But yes, and I think that is that is definitely uh, something that people may 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 want to avoid 
um, yeah. admitting that, that sometimes the solution is to break up and not see each other or go back to being acquaintances. And in smaller communities, there's a challenge of you got run into the same people over and over again because the community is so small and making enemies or people that you really can't, you know, can't stand seeing in such a small space is hard, right? Well, and often it's a thing where it's a temporary step. But for mm -hmm. me, if it's even I have hit that step temporarily, to me, that feels like a different mode than something else. And I know that that's a very personal thing. Yeah. compared to where other people are at for other people oh that's a step in this de-escalation we need to take our space to process and then we'll be back on the track of where we're going but um, i think it's been yeah. an interesting process of watching people uh move to using this other language about it because it feels more positive to frame it as these relationship changes are happening uh, than to use the monogamous setup of there's a breakup and that means that you've wasted your time in this relationship and you're not in community anymore. And it is sort of important to note that we are, generally speaking, usually still to some extent in community with each other still. Yes. the um, I, I had an experience which felt like initially like a breakup or de-escalation. And again, I think that uh, it mostly came out of not really knowing that there are other ways of looking at it until it happened to me. I also accepted this uh, mononormative uh, cultural norm that, that, that says if you're not getting on, or if this doesn't work for you, that you must break up or, um, you know, basically cut it. And for me, that happened during the uh, first lockdown in COVID, yep. where because you weren't allowed to bubble up with more than one person, the, the government did not make allowances to polyamorous people. Mm -hmm. It happened to a lot of us. <laughs> um, yeah, so two of my partners moved in with me. And that was a pretty stressful situation since all of us are kind of solo polyamorous, enjoy living alone, enjoy having our independence and... This was uh, three people a lot of intensity in one that space. Own, that basically, with two of them are not, you know, have no intention of necessarily, you know, forming a relationship. They're just happen to know each other because they're my partners. So that uh, was quite intense and quite stressful. Everybody did their best, but it wasn't really a viable situation. And at some point, I kind of realized that, that I was getting very stressful, very stressed and didn't really have my own space. and. I needed to actually ask one of them to move out. And that felt like a breakup. Mm -hmm. Even though, you know, they kept their own space, uh, their own their own room where they lived. Uh, we always knew it was going to be a temporary thing. But this act of like saying to like, this isn't working, um, felt like a breakup. And the reaction from both sides were, was like a breakup. Now, over time, we gave it a few weeks to, to, to kind of settle down. And then we spoke again, we met again, and we, we realized we still want to continue seeing each other. We just that that format, that dynamic doesn't work for us. The previous one that we were enjoying for a long time did work. So we right. decided to, yeah, let's just come back to that. Yeah, <laughs> and that was fine. And I, think, I think it's that initial reaction, that moment of being in a place of emotional pain that lots of people are hoping to avoid by calling it a de-escalation and then are confused that they don't avoid when they call it a de-escalation. 
right? Because there's a certain amount of, um, I don't want to call it polyamorous propaganda, but my brain called it polyamorous propaganda um, that says that we're a little bit more enlightened and we just de-escalate things and change them, right? We will immediately find the level set that our relationships should be at, but we're all still human. And so we all still have to go through this process of figuring out this isn't working and then have the this isn't working conversation that's very uncomfortable and a little painful mm. and process all of that pain before, as you said, you could sit down with that partner and go, wait, our previous relationship worked. We should just do it that way again. Yeah. Well, this is a complicated area because first of all, we're all carrying this uh, uh, monogamous mindset with us into polyamory. Most people do. It takes a while to mm -hmm. unpack it all that to unpack and and unlearn you know and deprogram in a way so um and then what then happens is that first of all i think there's a lot of polyamorous people feel like they have something to prove because yes. what they hear all the time is like from monogamous kind of side is well polyamory doesn't work people don't stay together they, they always break up mm -hmm. and i think that there is this a bit of an element of like well i'll show them that i can make it work like i don't want to like uh give them <laughs> the benefit of thinking they're right by um, right, great public face to prove them yeah. wrong. So that can be an element of that. I think there's also, I mean, I think it's a really beautiful notion that your relationship doesn't have to end. It can morph, it can transition to something else with people that are important to you in your life. And in that sense, mm -hmm. polyamory provides an opportunity to do that that in monogamy you hardly get. Although mm -hmm. I, know, I know plenty of people who are very good friends with their exes, which is great, mm -hmm. you know. So getting out of the notion that if your relationship stopped working for you it's a failure and therefore like you feel like a failure and that's why when it ends you feel that pain okay. one thing is to just uh, admit that some relationships are okay if they don't last a long time if they only last that time that they lasted yep. that doesn't mean they're a failure they're just a success for that period right you still had whatever joy you had in it you still grew whatever growth you both grew in it and it worked yeah. it just worked then exactly and, and if you can find the right time to acknowledge and, 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 and be brave enough to speak out when it's not working for you anymore, then you can avoid the, the decline that often happens when one side would really like to end it, but doesn't know how, doesn't want to mm -hmm. hurt their partner, can't find the right time. Um, you know, all these things like, oh, now there's like this, this, this person is going through this issue, this stuff. So I don't want to like load them with additional thing or it's not the right time for me because I need her support in something. No, all those things get all mashed up together. And then you carry the, that relationship beyond its sell-by date. Right. I don't want to ripple effect this through the polycule. These things are going on. My meta is having this medical problem. Now we're going to wait until yeah. six months from now. And six months from now, you're sitting there with resentment and having a much worse conversation than you would have if you'd had it when you first felt it. I really yeah. think there's a lot of little things like that that in polyamory can either be much better because sometimes we're better at doing things like having regular check-ins or things like this and sometimes can be much worse because we're going, oh, we're in this whole ecosystem. Let's look at everyone's problems and take too much on depending on our personalities and the way we handle things. Yeah, but I, I mean, I, you can 
see it in both ways. A lot of the time, these are issues that people who are new to polyamory, who are transitioning from monogamy, um, or have been single for a while and all they know before that is monogamy, they often, you know, especially if they've been single for a while, they might really want to hold on to their partners mm-hmm. um, out of fear of being alone. And even though I do believe that for many people, polyamory is an orientation uh, and a very kind of, or political choice even, or life philosophy, mm-hmm. sometimes people do it because they're either afraid to be alone, want, want additional kind of support and, and security for multiple partners, uh, maybe are um, worried about committing fully to one person, that also still exists and that's blended mm-hmm. into the community. Yeah, we are a very mixed group. There's not one type of person who does polyamory. If there were, it would be a lot easier, right? Instead, we have to find the compatible people within this already smaller dating pool. Um, It's always a little bit of a trip to sort of figure that whole thing out. I say, as someone who currently has one partner and is doing a lot of dating at the moment, it's a mess. Um, But... (laughs) Especially since I'm two hours outside of my local largest metropolitan area. It's great. Mm. I say with my sarcastic giant grin, it's great. Um, This is a sound-only podcast, The Sight Gags. I still do them anyway. Um, Well, then you narrate them so people know. mm -hmm, mm Mm-hmm. The best part of this. But in general, I think that this idea of are we going to have a breakup? Are we going to have a de-escalation? Is it only about us and our relationship or is it about the whole polycule and how it's going to ripple effect? Ends up actually being one of the few things that makes polyamorous breakups unique compared to monogamous breakups. Because monogamous breakups have a lot of the same push and pull of like abandonment issues. Do I want to be alone? Am I afraid of being alone, can I manage to be friends with my ex? Do I need three months to hate their guts before I can do it, right? Like I had a friend in university who would uh, burn a tiny little effigy of her ex and then a week later be like, okay, I'm ready to try to be friends with him again. This was just her process. Uh, And it made no sense to me and it still makes no sense to me. She's now in her mid thirties and has done the same thing at the end of every major relationship, but (laughs) it works, right? She's with people for like five years at a time at the end of this thing, does this ridiculous little ritual. And then a week later is like, okay, we can start being friends again, is friends with pretty much all of her exes. So it's not like a polyamory unique thing to have to process and manage. But the unique thing like is, oh, sorry, go ahead. Um, yeah, it sounds like she's got a process. She's got a ritual that helps her process her pain exactly. in a healthy way. That's great. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But like the unique thing about polyamory is that we end up going, wait, I'm in a network and the network's feelings also matter. How do I... How much do I, where do my boundaries end and these other people's needs and wants come into play to a greater degree? And I think a lot of that is on people learning better sort of autonomy and boundary holding in a way that our culture doesn't do a good job teaching us. A lot of people who I know who are like socialized as women do the, well, I'm everyone's caretaker, so I am keeping a very attentive eye on where everyone's level is. Um, Some men do too, but most of the men who I know who do the same thing have a certain amount of like relational trauma in their history. And so they're just kind of hypervigilant in general. 
I'm sorry for being horribly gendered in my stereotypes, folks, but it's also my anecdata. <laughs> Just life. And this pattern ends up coming out as people who go, oh, but I can't have this breakup because I'm at the edge of a quad. And what does that do to the rest of the quad? I don't want to collapse everybody else's relationships. I'm afraid of playing what, um, in the polyamory breakup book, they call it high stakes polydominoes, where mm. now the entire polycule collapses. I'm like, first, that term is ridiculous. Second, it happens though, right? And it doesn't have to be because you're in a completely interconnected network. I've seen the thing where somebody at the center of an interconnected social group has their breakup and then everybody goes, oh, well, if they're not together anymore, then he's got too much energy and is spending too much time with this person who's now like, well, our relationship wasn't strong enough to sustain this. We need to de-escalate. And that freaks them out. And then it goes boop, 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 all along the line. Guys, I'm so sorry. I might have to release the video of me going boop, 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 like on the Ko-Fi or something or put it on my Instagram because I'm just pretending to be a tiny video game. Um, <laughs> because it does happen. And I don't think that happens in monogamous friend groups the same way it does in polyamorous ones. I might be wrong. But I've I been polyamorous since overlap. I was 19. Yeah, there is. A, yeah, <laughs> I think that you you can see dynamics in uh, in monogamous circles where there is a, a, a social grouping around maybe may a couple that are very kind of extroverted and social, etc. If they break up, people need to choose a side. If it's not an amicable breakup, people have to choose a side, yeah. and that can also disband that uh, that social circle, right? True. Um, in that sense, it's quite. It's not. I think the dynamic is similar. Sometimes what you have. Uh, happening is uh, maybe a couple in a primary relationship will break up and then other secondaries would either uh, be vying for that primary position or as you mentioned before not really want it but that yeah. person is now looking for another primary and realizing that none of these part their partners want to actually mm -hmm. fill that role so yeah there's there's a lot of very interesting dynamics that can take place but i think that when a polycule is totally um disbanded because of one breakup it kind of indicates that within the polycule there were codependent dynamics right yeah and that yeah and that there weren't there wasn't enough uh a high enough degree of of boundaried individuals there that um define and enforce their own needs or you know their own boundaries within that right. uh constellation right or at least that the people right at the center who were then defining the constellation based on were the ones who had the poor boundary maintenance. Yeah, exactly. Because of course, sometimes when you start drawing these maps, you can make the constellation bigger than a sheet of paper because you get interconnecting them. Mm -hmm. And anyway. and again, I mean, we we can just see that as uh, uh, some kind of like age, kind of a chaos agent introduced to a system, and then things explode implode and then find a different way of connecting right it's it just it's, keeps shifting and it's yeah. not necessarily a bad thing it can be positive for the people who realize or learn from that experience 
Well, right. And are there particular sort of skills that are helpful when you're trying to re rebuild or reformat a relationship that you've had these discussions about changing what the shape of the relationship is going to be other than sort of generally having good boundary maintenance? Well, you know, generally having good boundary maintenance isn't as simple good as for just everything. saying yeah. it is exactly. good for everything. It's also super important. So it is really about self-work to figure out for yourself what that what your boundaries are. So thinking about what is in your domain, um, mm -hmm. if you're familiar with the uh, with will of consent um, principles, the idea that we have a domain that includes everything that we have a right to and we have responsibility for. I really love that image of, you know, my body, my thoughts, my desires, my needs, you know, all of those are in my domain. Therefore, I need to hold on to that. I need to protect it. I also have a responsibility for the way that impacts on other people. Mm -hmm. So I set my boundaries at a level where my domain isn't um, encroached on, isn't threatened. Yeah. And often, oftentimes in relationships, especially when you have competing needs, like if, if um, you're for example, losing feelings to your partner. And therefore, maybe the thought would be, well, maybe we should not be together anymore. But you have competing needs, maybe a need for emotional support, financial support, mental support, etc. Right. That might lead you to think, well, everything else is okay. And this person hasn't done anything bad to me. So maybe I can convince myself to stay with them or stay a little bit longer until I figure out how to get those needs met somewhere else. Right. Until we rejig these other needs, right? Until we yeah. figure out where my finances go this way or whatever. For example, and, and, and ultimately what then often happens is that you wait until the right time. In the meantime, the other the partner may realize something's up, may sense it, you know, we have an intuition that things are not going very well. And if they don't know the reasons for that, they might then create a story, a narrative in their head of what that reason is. Mm -hmm. So that can introduce additional complications and, and, and stresses to the relationship. Yeah. I think this idea of communicating earlier in order to not be building competing narratives of what's going on becomes really important because I find it's especially important when you're in relationships of more than two people, like specifically in triads and quads, because people communicate on an individual basis, different information, even when they think they've told everyone all of the same information. And so you get people yes. building competing narratives of the same events. Um, and so communicating early and often diminishes the effect of having competing narratives but especially for these sort of bigger underlying emotional things staying in communication so that you aren't building competing narratives of how the relationship is going becomes important and i think especially in the case of trying to redirect or reformat a relationship staying in communication about where you want the relationship to go and why because it's one thing to say, oh, I don't want us to do this activity together anymore. And it's another thing to say, well, I still feel connected to you in these ways. And I want us to maintain that through these other activities. Mm -hmm. 
I think one thing that can maybe help is to, um, to actually have the conversation about the breakup scenarios or um, your needs and desires beyond maybe, maybe beyond the current dynamic to have that as part of your check-in conversations, even when things are going well. Mm-hmm. Even like, you know, right at the beginning when you realize it's, it's becoming an emotionally committed relationship to say, well, actually, you know what, my priority is to be, and I did that, I said that to, with, with my partner as well, my real priority is to, for you to be in my life in some way or another for as long as possible because I care mm-hmm. about you as a person. And as long as we're sexually attracted to each other, romantically involved, that's great. But if something happens there, I really want us to not throw away the stuff that's still there. Mm-hmm. And if that's in my mind, then when if we do end up in a situation where one or both of us no longer want to continue in this particular dynamic, we can actually remember that there is another commitment here, right? This, the relationship that you usually have with a partner is multifaceted. It's romantic, it's sexual, it's friendship, it's supportive. You know, it's lots of different things. Mm-hmm. And you don't have to necessarily cut off everything because yeah. one or two don't work. Right. Cutting off your nose to spite your face doesn't do anyone any good. Yeah. And, and the reason we are afraid of that is because we build expectations. We create a fantasy of what our life will look like in the future with this person or with these people. Yeah. And if then the reality hits us right in the face and like, oh no, that fantasy is not going to happen. There is a loss. There is a mourning process because it's like that idea died. Yeah. And a lot of the time these ideas are rooted in the relationship escalator. And in this sense that polyamory allows us to ride it with multiple people. As much as we say that we're getting off of the relationship escalator and some of us do a lot of work to actively do that a lot of people who practice polyamory do well i'm skipping one step and i'm not cohabiting with all of my partners but other than that i'm doing all of the escalator steps with each of them right Mm -hmm. and so when they realize that oh maybe i'm not doing the until death part with all of these people it's like a panicky moment that you have to work through both internally and with your partner and figure out, well, maybe we are, but only in these facets. I, I think that even, even if um, you have done a little work to um, uh, deprogram from the idea of a relationship escalator, even if you're uh, a relationship anarchist, like if you love to fall in love, if you love to make romantic connections, once you're doing that, you know, you're going to feel hurt. You're going to feel pain if that doesn't yeah. continue. And if you still want it and the other person doesn't want it, it's going to hurt and sometimes hurt like hell. Yes, mismatched now, feelings we, often create yes. pain. <laughs> yes, and, and um, with polyamory, you have more opportunities to experience that pain because you're dating more and you're building more relationships. Absolutely. <laughs> now, if we accept that that kind of pain is also part of the experience, part of life, part of falling in love, can, is sometimes also experiencing the heartache. I think that the, there's two things going on. We want to avoid it for ourselves. We want to often avoid it for, for, for the other person because we know how, how painful it is. We don't want them to experience it. Mm-hmm. But in the, the price of that is often either continuing in dynamics that no longer serve us mm-hmm. or being more manipulative emotionally you know, in a way to, like, to create some distance so it doesn't feel like a big cut, you know, like a, like a yeah. massive hit. And I... 
have realized for myself and, and then in the work I do with clients is that there is probably there is a way to just learn to be okay with some degree of pain mm -hmm. to realize that we can sit with it that, that, that we can be okay with the pain knowing that it will as much as it hurts it will eventually leave us that emotion yeah. will dissipate and that pain can also teach us a lot about what is really important to me right what are my values what what part of this is why is it so painful because it meant something to me if i can explore that meaning that can be also a way of reconnecting with that person in a different way yeah in the future absolutely. even if not right away right that it if it is going to hurt us that deeply it meant something to us and that honestly I think the discomfort with causing people pain is often a lot of why people end up either trying to only remove sort of one aspect of a relationship at a time, even if they feel like multiple aspects aren't working for them, which can sometimes be more disingenuous than they let on sometimes it's like a really legitimate i only think this part isn't working and then they get into whatever the reformatted relationship is and go oh wait i was wrong and have to adjust again and sometimes it's oh i think we can both agree that this one aspect isn't working let's change that first and then we'll get to the part where i have to hurt them in a few months i'll feel better about mm. it that way right yeah and that's a trend that i've seen happen and it's very hard to watch happen to friends and acquaintances, right? Like, if you're somebody that feels like something is not working anymore, and you're afraid to bring it to your partner, because you don't want to hurt them, I think it's worth asking yourself, is my fear that they will be in pain? Or is my fear that I will feel bad about hurting them? Right? Like, is it about them? Or is it actually about me? Right. Is it about the shame I will feel after yeah. I hurt them? Right. Like, yeah. because in, in pretty much all cases that part, the partner would value direct and honesty now than hearing it a month down the line. And then also realizing that you've been sitting on it for a month because they'll feel the same amount of pain at both times and maybe more at the later date, depending on how big an omission it is. And added anger or resentment because they weren't told right exactly. away. Exactly. Yeah. So yeah. it's one of those things where being more open and honest sooner is almost always the best policy. I'm trying to think if there is an actual exception. I just try not to say always and never. <laughs> Fair enough. And, you know, there are, I mean, there's, there can be um, examples where patience or finding the timing is important. Like if and I'm trying to think, I don't know if your partner lost a, a close family member or had some serious tragedy happening, you know, maybe not drop it. On right. Them. Not that day or whatever, <laughs> but like, yeah, timely, you know, I mean, yeah, that I think is that, pretty uh, much the thing. It's like generally personal to... tragedy happening. Pause. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, or, or is your partner co um, coherent and clear-headed uh, to hear what you have to say and not, and not like let it trigger other things because they're maybe drunk or, or very, very tired and stressed? Um, there's other considerations. Right, right. 
yeah um yeah so so the, the kind of processing the like practicing being honest with each other is something that it's important to do all the time right if you if you're getting used to saying hard things when things are still working well th even when when everything is great there's going to be stuff that you disagree on that you are upset at your partner of about so learning to say it very very clearly and directly is good practice yeah and it means absolutely. that you also your partner will trust you and you trust them to bring to you stuff that's not working stuff that they're you know uh, are concerned with right building honesty and vulnerability and the ability to have those conversations that aren't easy is essential yes yes uh. i think in general we end up hearing about de-escalations when it's like either this thing is falling apart and i feel terrible about it or this went so well let me tell you about my super successful de-escalation <laughs> right like i have some friends who are like today the de-escalation poster children slash spokespeople in that now you know 10 years later they live in the same house with their additional partners and co-parent their kids and live in like opposite wings of the same house and they're like look mm -hmm. at us we're proof that de-escalations work um i have just made it sound like they actually walk around doing this as a speech which one of them kind of does but he likes to tell his life story as a speech to shock people as an introduction he mm -hmm. starts with my two children were born three months apart and then goes from there um it's a whole shtick um but i think outside of either situations where it went immensely well or like this is the worst and it should have just been a breakup we don't often talk about the quotidian ways that things work and that's kind of where things get interesting right it's the how to have a hard conversation about these things that is actually what people care about most of the time right they sit down with their partners and go okay this is awkward but and start to have the conversation or at least if they're me they start with this is awkward but because i have every bad habit of prefacing myself with this is stupid but this is yes. awkward but yeah well the um, uh if people compare themselves or try to compare themselves to what they see online or in social media from influence etc they're going to put a lot of pressure on themselves as well because not all of that is really real right mm -hmm. it is for for public consumption and the the real truth is much messier most of the time we don't know what happens behind closed doors or people talk about you know I think that uh, if we actually try to avoid using the term de-escalation, just like try to de-escalate the term de-escalation mm -hmm. and talk about transition, um, talk about change, basically assume, accept that relationships are by their very nature a dynamic um, kind of amorphous thing. Like it, 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 even, even when you are monogamous or even when you are in a primary relationship, and even when things are going well, your relationship is not the same over the years. 
Right. If you're in a long-term right. relationship, you're witnessing a thousand funerals of the person your partner used to be because everyone is a new person over time as they grow and exactly. change. Yeah. Yeah. And we can apply the same, uh, the same idea to uh, multiple relationships. And I think that it's very possible that even if you're currently, say, have a partner that you decide to no longer live together or maybe not have sex anymore, but you stay in connection, you have shared interests, you have some things that you like to do together, maybe you have some of the same friends, you care about each other. You don't know if five years from now you'll start having sex again, mm -hmm. or maybe you'll meet up and only have sex at parties or with, you know, uh, or as a special guest star for your other relationship. Like it's, who knows, right? Right, exactly. You'll remember, wait, we shared that one kink back 10 years yeah. ago. I'm getting back into that. Would you like to come be my partner at this event? Oh yeah, sure. Let's go do that mm -hmm. and have a great time. And suddenly, okay, you've got a recurring thing every three months. Who knows? Well, like, literally, that, that happened to me actually. Yeah. Yeah, like I didn't know that, but mm -hmm. awesome. And like maybe the next time we do a feature on King, we'll invite you too. It won't just be me and Annie. Um, <laughs> but like, it's one of those things where. Uh, like there are so many possibilities for how you can come in and out of someone's life. And I know my longest term play partner has been in and out of my life for the last 10 years, but we drop in and out of each other's lives yeah. depending on where else we're at, right? How are things going with whether <laughs> both of us have had children in the last 10 years, right? So like what phase are our kids at? How busy are we? like what are our jobs like right now these things really affect people's bandwidth and how you can remain in connection with multiple people yes when you have when you have comments for example people who kind of come in and out of your life at uh, different times where there isn't like a fixed schedule and you might see mm -hmm. them every few months oftentimes like with my comments to people that live in different cities different countries mm -hmm. and you know over the years because we don't see each other that often and we're not in like regular regular contact um, actually, when we meet, there's a lot of uh, a lot of energy because yeah. the, the attraction is still there and, and the connection is still there. But there, I don't need those relationships for, say, sexual reasons, for physical reasons, right? Mm -hmm. So it's a, it's possible that I meet them one weekend and we have a great amount of sex and, and, and romance and everything is fantastic. And then a year later, they're in a monogamous relationship or they're in a primary relationship that's taking all of their energy and they choose to that they don't want to be sexual with me. Now, yeah. I'm not with them for the sex, so for me, that's great. Like, I'm still happy to spend time with them, to even meet their partner. And maybe two years later, they'll be single again and be happy for us to have sex. And, you know, if I'm in the space where that works for me, okay. So exactly. keeping things flexible also means that you don't kick out people from your life just because they happen to change something about their, well, their life. Well, right. And that's one of those things that I've found to be really wonderful about how the sort of definitions of my polyamory and my open relationships have changed over the years is that I've reached a place where I'm a lot more comfortable with that uncertainty. Uh, when I first started doing this, I had to have everything very rigidly defined in my head for me to sort of relax about it. Mm. And I'm now in a place where I'm much more comfortable with like, we'll see how things go. And that evolution for me took many years, right? It's 15 years in now, and I can say these things. Um, whereas two, three, four years in, I was still at like, okay, but do we have a rule that covers this situation? And if we don't, should we be making one?
or do we need to erase a rule to allow for this situation and if so how much negotiation can we do about it within the two relationships that i had that were heavily defined at that time and like it's been a big shift but that's what we're talking about where these relationships change and flow and i'm actually not with either of those people anymore but even if i were they're both very different people now than they were then yeah and living in different countries now than they were then as am i Ooh. anyway <laughs> but like i think whether you consider a de-escalation to be the best way to describe what you've done with a particular relationship the idea that relationships are sort of living breathing things and that the relationship itself is less important than the people in it and serving the needs and wants and i don't know what's um desires of the people in it means that you have to sort of view it as something that's in flux right so seeing it as well this relationship changed not it got worse not it got smaller right is maybe a more positive spin to put on it mm -hmm. and i think people have been using de-escalation as a more positive way to view breakup and if that's what they're doing then cool awesome great trend but I liked what you said earlier about maybe we need to de-escalate the use of de-escalation and start talking about transformations and transitions and changes instead. Um, yeah, I, I would agree with that. And I think that sometimes it's okay to not have something defined. You know, it's okay to be like, well, we like each other. We like to do these things together. So what if society doesn't, doesn't have a label for us? I mean, so much of what people do is often defined, basically informed by whether it fits a particular, um, you know, kind of slot or pattern in the socially accepted kind of lexicon. And uh, yeah, we're, we can accept that we're all very, very different humans. Therefore, the combination of us as in, in relationships is all going to look different. And that's fine if you don't have a definition for it. Or if you want to call it one thing, but it may be in effect something else. Um, that's, yeah, I think that's all very beautiful. And just as long as you keep communicating and agree that you're both in it for the same reasons. You know, that you share enough of the values to, um, yeah, to be able to, to bring into it your, your whole self and be very authentic and do it with integrity. I mean, that sounds like the goal in all of our relating. So that's amazing are there any projects that you want to share with our listeners or any places that they can find you that we should share with them well um summertime is coming and i'm planning to be doing all kinds of fun stuff and not necessarily organize any more online events and workshops which i've been doing <laughs> yes. over the last two years uh, i hope to transition to more in-person stuff uh in london uh, but I'm, I'm based in london awesome. uk so if anybody is um, based in London or nearby and wants to take part in some of the physical events that I will be organizing, they can um, subscribe to my website, openrelating.love, or follow me on Instagram at openrelating. I also post a lot of content, which is specifically about conscious autonomous relationships, not purely polyamory, but just a whole range of, of relating. Mm -hmm. And I host a peer support coaching club 
um, on most Saturdays. And that is an online Zoom space, which is free to attend. People pay what they like, and they can also find all the information on that on openrelating.love. Great. So for the 10% of my listeners, according to my analytics, who are in the UK, I hope a bunch of you are near London. <laughs> uh, and uh, for the rest of you, please go to openrelating.love and find out about some of those online options. So thank you for being with me. I really appreciate it. So I just want to encourage everybody uh, to go into the show notes and click on Roy's website link for openrelating.love to go see both his online and in-person events that are coming up this summer. And then also, of course, all of my standard uh, stuff. We've got the blog post on de-escalations and sort of the difference between de-escalations and breakups and the fact that I don't think there really is much of one. Uh, as well as some of the other information that we talked about in today's episode. You can also find me on uh, Twitter at LauraCV88, on TikTok and Instagram at Ready for Polyamory. And if you're in the area of Connecticut, which is where I am, uh, I'm hosting a polyamory meetup in New Haven on June 8th. Um, and you can go to my website to find more information about that. If you're interested in attending, if you're not from around here, sorry, you can't come. But as always, thank you very much for listening. Next week, we'll be back with an episode on polyamory and parenting older children. So that's going to be episode nine. See you then. 